worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. John Bozica, 1480 WHBC. One of the biggest topics of conversation during the course of this year so far has been about policing. and. Part of the main reason why that is, a couple of the main reasons why are what happened in Minnesota last year, what happened in Minnesota just a couple weeks ago with Dante Wright, and basically what's been taking place for years now that has been part of the main topic of discussion for many within the state houses, whatever state you want to look at, these discussions are happening everywhere at this point. So we go to the phone line. We bring in State Representative Erica Crawley to discuss that this morning and um, bring some light to some of the stuff that they are currently working on in the Ohio State House. State Representative, how are you this morning? I am well, thank you. Thanks for coming on to the program today, and thanks for wanting to discuss these things. I know that this is a, a very polarizing issue for any State House. As I mentioned, there are discussions going on just about everywhere right now. I know you've been working on police reform with State Representative Thomas West from right here in Canton. Can you tell me about the bill that you guys have been working on? Yes, um, and and thank you for having me and and continuing this conversation. Um, I I know we spoke about this legislation um, a few months ago, and so it's House Bill 134, this General Assembly, uh, the same as House Bill 706, which we introduced last General Assembly. And what that bill requires is um, it's a de-escalation training bill, um, and it uh, requires police, peace officers um, to go through uh, more extensive training than they, than they already receive once they are hired onto a department and then annually, um, which they are not required to do now on an annual basis. And the training is de-escalation techniques, um, anti-racism, cultural competency training, um, how to engage with our neighbors who may be experiencing a mental health crisis, uh, um, other judicial types of training, um, how to use um, alternative uh, techniques for de-escalating a situation um, outside of using excessive force or deadly force. Um, And then that uh, bill also requires for uh, officers to be aware of what mental health support um, are available to them should they get into an incident that they cause severe, severe bodily injury or the death of someone um, and how that looks for, for them, what mental health crises might look like that may not be apparent. And that bill also has a $28 million um, appropriation because we at the state level do not have a dedicated funding source for officer training. When it comes to officer training, I was looking at what some other countries do compared to what we do here in the United States of America. Do you think we should lengthen the training altogether, State Representative? Do you think it should be a longer process from the start? 
I do. So I, I believe that um, if we look at other states or other countries, there is a, um, you know, some provide more uh, certification. They have the ability to revoke. Um, they make it more professionalized with a, a two-year degree or some a four-year degree. Um, and then they require, of course, continuing education training or continuing training um, for this field of work. And so I think what we can do, um, and, and I think there is not, I think there is a consensus that um, more training is necessary, um, but it's just finding that common ground. I know that there are departments who feel like they should um, have the discretion on when to train and on what topics, but I think that we need to have uh, more uniformity across our departments. Um, in an effort to be more transparent, to have more accountability, and in the end, uh, save lives. It's the voice of State Representative Erica Crawley this morning on WHBC talking about police training, talking about some of the things that she is working on with House Bill 134, along with Thomas West from right here in Canton. State Representative, I know that part of this, as you mentioned, is the de-escalation training of it. Is that with mental health? Is that with um, what all goes into that in your mind? What goes into making de-escalation training better so that we don't see a situation where the only way that an officer de-escalates a situation is by pulling a firearm? Right. So I think also what um, this bill requires is, um, and it's in tandem, right, with looking at what biases do we bring to um, this profession or what um, beliefs do we hold about a group of um, individuals and how that might influence the way that we respond to community members. And so I, I think because that is part of the training, you know, someone who may believe um, or have a certain held belief about a community may be able to dispel that. And when they go into that community, be able to engage in a conversation uh, around whatever circumstances brought them out, um, whether then, you know, coming in, not being able to assess the situation, possibly drawing their weapon first, um, and then asking questions, um, asking questions later. Um, I, I think that's, um, you know, necessary. Also, we're looking at procedural justice and then um, mental health issues. If you've seen in across the country and even here in Ohio, there was a gentleman who went into a Walmart and was experiencing a mental health crisis. He was looking at um, had one of the weapons that was in the Walmart and the uh, police were called. They came to the Walmart and then they ended up killing that young man. And then there was just recently about a month and a half ago, the same situation that happened in um, Texas where the uh, police were called to the house. The family member said, please do not, shoot him he is experiencing a mental health crisis and they ended up killing him in the end um, and he was unarmed and so learning how to deal with um you know when we're engaging with someone who may have a mental health crisis what does that look like do they need to call in someone who has experience with behavioral health and that's something that they can't you know um handle on their own and they need support um and, and so those are the types of training that they will get in de-escalation um, training, as well as, like I said, using other forms of uh, non-lethal weapons, like 
drawing a taser or using pepper spray. But then this training also provides first aid and critical injury training. Um, as we saw with, um, unfortunately, Andre Hill, who um, died at the hands of Columbus police, uh, they did not provide any kind of first aid training. Uh, he just laid there on the ground. They ended up handcuffing him while he was on the ground, and they did not call a first responder for um, at least five minutes. Had they provided him with some kind of critical injury care um, or a little bit more than even just basic first aid, that may have prolonged his life uh, a little while longer, and they will also get that training um, in this legislation. State Representative Erica. Erica Crawley, my guest this morning, excuse me, State Representative, one of the things that I was talking about this week, I had on someone from basically like the Police Equity Center in the United States. His name was Hans Minos, and one of the things that he had said was that the relationship between the black community and police has never really been good, and I guess I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Do you feel that it has ever been a good relationship or has it always been somewhat of a rocky relationship between the two? Um, thank you for that question. I think it has always been a rocky relationship. If we just look at the history of policing and where it started, um, if we go back to enslavement, and I know that tends to be an issue for people um, when we talk about enslavement, because they're like, we're not there anymore. 400 years later, why are we still talking about this? But we can't fix or address an issue or build trust without acknowledging how this all started. And so when um, uh, policing was started or slave patrols or marshals, you know, came onto the scene, it was to uh, look for runaway slaves and bring them back to the plantation. Um, and so that's where this this idea of policing started. So if we think about black and brown people and communities knowing this history, um, you can see while there has been distrust. And over time, even if we look back into the civil rights with lynching um, and the Ku Klux Klan, I'm sorry, um, that there were uh, police officers involved in that organization um, who were part of lynchings, um, but also were serving in the community um, as somebody who was sworn in protect, to protect and serve the community. So that would be a conflict of interest, and we saw, see how that how that played out. Um, so if we look at the history, it's not like uh, black and brown and other marginalized communities have this unfounded distrust for policing, it is when we look at the history of it, it has shown that there has been reasons why um, they there has been a breakdown of trust. Well, and I, I think part of the discussion has to be normalizing that as part of this, doesn't it? Like normalizing the fact that anytime you want to approach something, it's great if you want to talk about the good, but talking about the good doesn't outweigh the bad in my mind. So how do we make sure that when we have this discussion, we do properly say these things so that people that might not be aware, be aware know that this has been part of the past of policing in our nation? Right. I, so I think what we have to do is um, come to the table with an understanding that, um, you know, all police officers are not bad. 
all police departments don't have a, a stain on their on their department or their reputation. But there are bad apples. Um, and when they are protected, either by the Fraternal Order of Police or city officials, that that diminishes that profession. Um, and so I think that's where we can start. Like, everybody is not bad. There are not all bad police officers. Um, there are good ones. And the history has shown us that there ha- that communities have been harmed and traumatized um, by law enforcement. Law enforcement violence uh, contributes to uh, racism being a public health crisis, but that it will take all of us together acknowledging the past and trying to f- figure out the best path forward. That's the only way that this will work is reconciliation. But we cannot have that if we don't frame the conversation around what happened in the past, where we are now, and how do we move to the future. Because I can talk about Columbus, where everyone knows Columbus has been in the paper for the last past year on some high-profile deaths um, that came at the hands of the police. And what we currently have is not working. It's not working for the officers and the police department, and it sure isn't working for the community. State Representative Erica Crawley, I appreciate the time this morning. We'll talk again soon. Be safe, and thanks for joining the program. Thank you for having me. Talk with you soon.